welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Brian O'Connell. And I'm Sean M. Thompson. And today we're going to be talking about Uncut Gems, a thriller, dark comedy from 2019, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie, uh, who co-wrote the screenplay with Ronald Bronstein, uh, starring Adam Sandler... Kevin Garnett, Idina Menzel, Lakeith Stanfield, and Julia Fox in her debut role. And uh, I just wanted to mention Scored by Daniel Lopatin, because the score is a kind of interesting element in this film. It is, yeah. Uh, This is one of my favorite films of last year. I'll just start off by saying that. Um, I don't know, well... I, I certainly liked the film. I don't know if I'd call it my favorite of 2019, oh, but no. I'd have to actually sit down and like. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't say it's my absolute favorite of last year. Certainly not. But it is. It's definitely I, you can't argue it's one of the better films to come out in 2019. Yeah. And it would be in my uh, probably top 10, maybe, maybe top five, but definitely Definitely one of the films I enjoyed the most because it's, um, well, it's kind of hard to articulate what makes this movie so enjoyable to me because it's, it's an objectively, uh, very stressful experience and one that a lot of people around me actually found unpleasant because of how anxiety inducing this movie is. But I I think, the thing that I appreciate about Uncut Gems is, uh, for some reason, I found myself thinking about Fargo, Coen Brothers film, mm. while I was watching it. And because there's a similar sort of everyman uh, crime going wrong yeah. element to it. But I think yeah. what Uncut Gems has over something like Fargo is uh, most people are not thinking about or will not plan to murder their spouses. No. Whereas, like, I think everybody knows somebody who at least gambles. Yeah. And there are plenty of people that know people with uh, gambling problems. Like, my dad probably has a gambling problem. Not mm. like this, obviously. No, He's no, no. This is exaggerated. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure he was addicted to online poker at some point. Mm. It's It's definitely... It's, it's an exaggerated character, but it is... He is not... Um, totally a fabrication he's well we'll just describe the the basic plot a little um adam sandler who does incredibly well in this movie and was absolutely robbed of an oscar nomination for it i know it is funny because before we started my girlfriend was like adam sandler but it's like (laughs) no he can actually act he i know he's um I know he's done well in movies like uh, Punch Drunk Love and The Mayorowitz Stories, New and Selected, which I haven't seen yet. This is the only um, good Adam Sandler performance I've seen. But it's it's a really... I mean, I just wish he applied himself like this more because like, it just goes to show that when given the right material and the right directors, he can really act like extremely well i i was i mean not to be a dick about it but it's like 
honestly, like when you have like say Netflix and you've got this really easy platform of like, I'm going to like lowball these comedies out and they're like not that hard to do. Yeah. And like, I understand why people go that route. Like, yeah, no. Because if makes- you just need a steady paycheck, it's so much easier probably to just be like, I'm going to do the same comedy over and over for Netflix. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's disappointing. It is, but I, I, at the same time, I can't imagine it's easy to act in this sort of a role and, like, God yeah. forbid you go anyway method with it. It's like... Yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're basically guaranteed to screw up a couple of months of your life. I think, um, I think Adam Sandler actually initially turned down the role. Or wait, oh, no. His manager um, turned down the role before he got a chance to actually read the script. And then later he he came around and and did the film, but he it took apparently took some convincing to get him to do this movie, probably partially because of the um, incredibly challenging nature of this role. This is a hard role to play, I would say, like by anyone's um, by anyone's metric. It's well the character is is. Howard Ratner, who is a uh, who owns a jewelry store in New York City in the Diamond District, and he's a an obsessive gambling addict who, from the very start of the film, uh, can't can't seem to stop making bad decisions. He just makes yeah. Ter- this whole movie is like. I mean, I think that's another thing that made me think of the Coen brothers is it's very similar to their style where it's like someone who just keeps making bad decisions. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts... It, we actually don't start with um, with Howard at all. We start in Ethiopia with a, a wounded miner getting the blood washed off his broken leg while two other miners uncover a black opal and then we this is a wonderfully cheeky shot i think we zoom into the opal and we basically come out seeing that it's it's a colonoscopy of of, of howard of adam sandler's character but, but yeah then, and it's like it's very it was hard for me to watch just because i'm not crazy about uh medical <laughs> footage Oh no, it's really it's it's unsettling and I mean, uncomfortable. It's, it's very similar to Killing of a Sacred Deer, our uh, ninth yeah, episode, oh. where it starts with like an open heart, and you're like, oh, that's just the thing. Okay. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it is a. That's actually a good strategy, of just making your audience uncomfortable and just getting them off on like yeah if you want to get people really uncomfortable and like paying attention real quick, just have some sort of horrendous surgery. Yeah. Um, and, and that discomfort carries on into the general situations, which, um, Howard gets the black opal, which he bought from, uh, Ethiopian Jewish miners in, in, in Ethiopia. And at the same time, the actual Kevin Garnett comes to visit his shop and is so enamored with the uh, with the opal that he insists that he take it to bring him good luck during his game. And as collateral, Howard takes his Celtics ring, 
which he then immediately proceeds to pawn off uh, as a giant bet to to make money. And that's, it's just... That's, that's like the trajectory of the whole film. It's like, yeah, it's... I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Most people would be just so like, oh my God, I have a professional, you know, basketball player player who is interested in my jewelry. That would be enough. But for this guy, he has to take this very expensive uh, gem that he's supposed to have at an auction, give it away to someone for a couple (laughs) days that he's just met, take that guy's championship ring, immediately pawn that off. And that's that's just a start. That's just, there's, there's another troubling element in that he owes money to his... Oh, right, yeah, he owes, like, I think a hundred grand or something? A hundred thousand dollars, yeah. He owes it to Amo Arno, sorry, Arno, who, um, is his brother-in-law, I think, and he's being followed around by these loan sharks, basically, from the start of the film, and that just introduces such a note of dread into the whole thing. Like there are like he has actual things that he needs to be doing he needs to be doing, but he's just ignoring the 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 ramifications of 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 owing money to these people. And it just gets I mean, one of the first really nail biting scenes to me is when he uh, at, at he's at his daughter's school play and he leaves and the loan sharks basically take him in a car and start like threatening him and beating him up and like taking his clothes and it's just it's so it was a very distressing experience to watch and then those moments inevitably get worse and worse over the course of the film but the thing is What's so great about the performance and what's so nerve-wracking is mm-hmm. most sane human beings, not even... It wouldn't get to that point. It would get to the point where the loan shark showed up at your work and you'd be like, all right, I have 25 grand right now. Take the 25 grand. And they would yeah. cool off a little bit. Yeah. But, but he, he instead has 25 grand and immediately places another bet because his thinking is like just like an addict. He's like, he's like well, what I'm going to do is like, take this and flip it, you know, yeah. I'll put it on this game and it's going to make me more money. And his reasoning is like, and then I can pay them even more money. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, these people could kill me. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Um, well, that's... I should probably just pay them some money now. Yeah. It's like, I mean, uh, getting into more thematic concerns of, of the movie, which I, I don't know if there's a clear one. Um, but the things that stuck out to me is inevitably this is a movie that is kind of about capitalism and, you know, the flow of money in a capitalist society. I mean, obviously the most glaring example of that is we start off by seeing, like, wounded miners, like, painfully excavate uh, an opal that then winds up in the hands of, of a major basketball player in the United States. But... um this this attitude that uh howard has to money and to like to me especially toward the end and just general spoiler warning it's not you know it's i i will want to discuss spoilers when talking about this film but 
his attitude toward money is that it's almost like a game for him in the end. Like it's like it's almost like a Yeah, it's a, almost like getting the money is and it is obviously getting the money is part of the fun. part of the high of the whole betting thing, but it's like it's almost like the betting It's secondary, like the actual secondary money. to just like acquiring money and then immediately getting rid of it to try to get more money in this very precarious way. Yeah. And I think one of the the most intense scene, one of the most intense scenes for me, I'm just going right to the end because it's it's one of the more interesting parts. Yeah, the, of the basketball film. game. Yeah, uh, which is such a groaning moment because it's like, all right, <laughs> so skipping ahead, but he finally has the money that he can just pay almost in full, I think, to these loan sharks to yeah. get him. To get them off his back. And they're like outside his office. And he manages this thing where he locks them and locks them out, takes all the money, puts it in a duffel bag, calls his girlfriend who works at the shop, tells her to go to the bathroom, orchestrates this whole thing where he throws the money in in this duffel bag out the window to her in the bathroom and then gives her what to bet on and hires a helicopter for her to fly to the Mohegan Sun. Las Vegas, yeah. Is it Las Vegas? It's it's right after you're finally like, oh my God, okay, he's finally going to pay these people, thank God. He just can't... And then, and then, additionally, he locks them in this like glass cubicle between that. I guess to prevent thieves, and they watch him as the game goes on. And it's just so. It's really it's it's so tense. But I think that the contrast, and there is obviously a defined contrast between Howard and the Lone Sharks. Is is an interesting, is an interesting way of I guess looking at two attitudes about about money, like the the loan sharks are like ruthless capitalists basically, they're they're there for the money and you know whatever gets them to the money is the most important thing, whereas Howard is almost like, I don't know he enjoys it and and takes pleasure in the whole process of things and it's a very different attitude toward toward money and toward capitalism than the um than the loan sharks have and then when he wins the bet that he made you kind of feel it with him almost that for one moment this whole nightmarish you know process lines up because he wins, he wins huge. He wins like a million dollars. He goes and, from like a hundred thousand or something to a million. And you feel the high he's been chasing the whole time, and you empathize with him. And then immediately, that whole thing is just shattered by the actual reality of capitalism. When, when very, he lets the loan sharks out, and he one lets of them the loan sharks shoots in. him in the fucking face. Yes, it was that was a very. I guess I should have seen it coming, but when I first saw that, I was very upset and disturbed by that moment because it's so jarring with the... I thought for sure they were just gonna like before that happened like cut a finger off or even cut a hand off you know yeah. just something really harsh but like he'd still be but like I I think it's a much it was a much stronger I mean going to betting terms a much stronger play mm. to just let it ride and you're like with him when he does win huge 
And you yeah. just think, oh, good. Well, he can finally pay them back and they won't care. But the other attitude of the loan shark is like, and kind of deservedly so, yeah. I've been threatening this man's like life, limb, property for two hours. He's yeah. just been fucking ignoring me and being just downright a dick. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, he's been mean as hell to these loan sharks, where it's that's like, I don't true. think anyone in their right mind would do that. That's true. Yeah, and then, it's a, but the interesting thing is that the loan shark, he could now pay them, but it doesn't even matter to the to the guy anymore. He's just like, fuck it, like, you don't deserve, I mean, like, you don't deserve to live at this point after all, all of what you've put us through. But and the even th- though that's terrible... That is terrible. It is super awful, um, but but I am going to say this. <laughs> Looking at it from a strictly financial standpoint, yes. what this man has done, there's no way he's keeping that million dollars. He's just he, going to go right back into the cycle yeah. and probably owe them money again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think but, the guy's like, no, I'm just done. I'm just done with this. Like, you're never going to... Because it's like, he's a terrible, you know, loan shark shithead who obviously injures people and kills people yeah. but he is just desperately trying to rationalize with this man like please just shut up and give me the money it's not see because because Howard doesn't behave rationally in this film he isn't he he that's the thing the the loan sharks and that's I don't know what I'm exactly trying to say here, but like I mean, no one I don't think either of us is saying we're pro loan shark. Like no, good, they kill no. people. But it's like if it's like I if understand, you know the stakes I understand. and you've had all this shit happen to you and you still just keep going, it's like you're never gonna stop. You just Yeah. Aren't. Yeah. Well, but see the loan sharks, I mean, to me, that's the thing. They do view things from a strictly financial viewpoint. It's it's a very kind of um, cold or impersonal attitude toward money. Like, there's no joy in the process of, of taking out loans for them. It's that they want to get paid, which is very different from um, from Howard in that it's not about the financial gain for him. It's about the... It's about the excitement of the process and the and while he is kind of a stupid asshole and he, you know, after a point, I don't I didn't want him to die, but like he was kind of inviting death after a point. Um, the thing but, about the character is he's just constantly searching for that high. Yeah. And so it doesn't even it's not even just in his sports betting. You can see it in the rest of his life, too. He has yeah. a wife that he's been with for however long, and they're getting divorced because clearly he was sleeping with this like much much, much younger, younger woman. woman who happened to work with him at the jewelry store. Yeah, yeah. Who is like, she seems nice enough, but like, we get it, more it, than yeah. one hint that she's just really in it, like for the apartment that he got her. Until she gets that tattoo, though. <laughs> But then she gets a tattoo on her ass, yes. <laughs> but uh, also, just to mention, I do... Adam Sandler is, is is great, but I do think the supporting actors do a fantastic job as well. Um, she, and, does a really, she does a really convincing job of being, like, like someone that a middle-aged man would fall in love with, yeah. but, like, who would be, like, acting like a 20-something girl. Yeah, and this is her first performance, and I was very. She impressed. does a great job. Yeah, she's like because yeah. she's simultaneously like, 
you're rooting for her, but then you're also like, oh, you're, but you're kind of a shithead. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, um, I mean, to me, he is an asshole and stupid, but especially when he's watching that basketball game, there's something oddly, like, pure and and simple about just the joy he takes in in the process of capitalism that is very contrasted to me with the the more like cynical realities of capitalism because you I mean, see I'll be honest I would love to have even 10% of the joy that man finds from yeah, from anything. <laughs> from anything, yeah. Because it's like, I am much more on the cynical, like, I have no money, so I don't bet my money, and I, have, yeah. you know, I have to, I'm I'm the loan sharks, so I'm like, I have to have my money. Yeah, no, and I mean, there's a line that stuck out to me, He he's talking to his doctor who gave him the colonoscopy, and the doctor just says at one point, like, like you know oh adam sandler's like i'm glad i don't have colon cancer and and the doctor's like oh well you know colon cancer paid for my house in the hamptons and that's just to me that sums that line sums up like almost capitalism yeah that's capitalism and it's like everything that's wrong with capitalism whereas like Adam Sandler's character represents almost the dream of capitalism, like the yeah, the, the American dream of like I'm gonna go from a Joe everybody to like a huge big deal over one just huge transaction or one book or one film I make or one yeah. acting job. He's like he's the he's the person who believes in the ideal basically, and he's destroyed for it. Because that's just not how it works. The the reality of money is not no, his in terms fantasy. Of the actual percentages, like obviously philosophically, it's wonderful to think that everybody's going to become this huge successful millionaire, sleeping with models and getting yeah. a sports car and a huge mansion. But like statistically, yeah. there are tons of people who want to do that, and statistically, it's probably like two percent that mm, actually yeah. get that. Yeah. So that's why I think that scene is so is so rich to me is that when he wins it's like it is the American dream it's the it's the jackpot like he did it and he he's the ideal and then it's immediately crushed by the actual conditions of the society which is it doesn't matter if you dream it doesn't matter if you win big it's about the money in the end it's not about you know your aspirations and that's where i thought this film i thought that 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 interplay was very interesting between like howard ratner who's like the ideal capitalist almost like the 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 fantasy version of capitalism and the loan sharks which are which are is just is actual life under capitalism. And what I think is really interesting too is they could have cut it, you know, once Sandler got shot. Yeah. But they wisely keep going and have his brother-in-law being like, "What did you do?" And then yeah. the other guy is so pissed off he shoots him in the face too. Yeah, it's and very... so it's like this man who like was even on the side of capitalism. Yeah. But happens to be associated with this guy also suffers. Yeah, the compassion. The end, yeah. yeah. When it's all said and done, this guy's like, fuck it. Look at all this jewelry. This is enough. We don't need them. Yeah. It's very, you know, especially with the last, 
It reminded me a little bit of a Fassbender movie called Fox and His Friends, which I know the Safdie brothers um, are fans of, but um, I don't know if it influenced this movie, but in that movie, it's about a working class man who wins the lottery and then is basically like stripped of all of his wealth by like these like bourgeois vultures and is ultimately uh, dies in like a subway, especially that shot of <sighs> there's a shot. Oh, I wanted to mention the cinematography, but I cannot pronounce the cinematographer's last name. It's Darius uh, Con G. I don't know. I, I don't, I can't pronounce it, but um, there's a, it's a great, beautifully shot film. There's like a lovely amount of grain and the colors are nice. It is. It's very, it's very New York. Like it's very yeah. New York city. Like it's like, cause sometimes you see films set in New York city and they just seem way too bright and clean. Cause they're yeah. always just, just in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, and this is much more like the New York that I've actually experienced where it's like when it gets dark, it's just dark, but you get these like kind of grainy lights and neons and yeah. like, dirty sidewalks and trash and, and it's it's like shot at the street level, and it's like just the like the daily craziness going on. From... Yeah, and it seems like there was a lot of handheld work too. Yeah, there's. I mean, the whole filmmaking of this movie is designed to destabilize you. I think one of the more there's a lot of like overlapping dialogue and people speaking loudly and just like sometimes unintelligibly. And then the score, which is, like, wonderfully odd, has, like, these, like, atonal voices and, like, chanting and then, like, weird synths. And combined with the handheld and all of the zooming that's going on, it's a very, like, you know, unsettling experience in that it's, it's like, right off the bat, especially those opening scenes, it's, like almost like aggressively attacking you with like just like walls of sound and yeah and and one actually one of my favorite scenes is um because it just lets you know a lot about howard howard's character Mm -hmm. is so he he has no idea who the weekend is because he's obviously like a (laughs) middle-aged man but his girlfriend's like oh i'm gonna go see the weekend and he's like okay i guess i'll go too and so you follow him from his house with his soon-to-be ex-wife and his kids, who just clearly don't respect him, because he's like a middle-aged man who's like, I'm going to go see The weekend. <laughs> um, and he's got his, like, pink dress shirt. Yeah, oh, yeah. And his wife just kind of glares at him, and his, his daughter does the same. And then we cut to him. Like, you know, another film would make it glamorous, would make him show up and he happens to know this guy and, oh, he gets to go to the VIP and this and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no. But this film shows you the other side of it, where it's this man just, like, desperately trying to get in to see his girlfriend <laughs> navigating through and desperately also trying to get uh, his jewel back because, yeah. you know, obviously one of the major subplots is that Kevin Garnett and, we'll, you know, we didn't really cover this, but Kevin Garnett gets the stone, mm-hmm. but he doesn't bring it back when he says he's going to bring it back. And there's mm-hmm. this sort of intermediary character. Yeah, played uh, by Lakeith Stanfield. To, who keeps sort of, like, avoiding him. He's like, oh, let's go get it. And then he has to go to the locker room and... Like, Howard evading the question, and it's just... Yeah, yeah, and then, so then when he sees him at the at the club, and obviously they have to shout over the music... Mm-hmm. He's like, you said you had the stone. He's like, no, I didn't. You know, just this very obnoxious, like, 
Yeah. Like, I didn't say that. It's Kevin Garnett. I can't do anything. Um, (laughs) And Howard starts to, like, fight him, and he somehow doesn't get kicked out, but... Yeah, you know it's like not a wise move because clearly that guy's there with his friends who are like we will just kill you what are you doing <laughs> yeah yeah um, and then he slowly and we're kind of intercutting between that and his girlfriend talking with this superstar and b singer at the weekend who is actually played by the weekend which is yeah. pretty funny it's pretty funny being one of like the f- trying to sleep with his girlfriend yeah. One of the things I, I liked just to talk about the weekend and also the presence of Kevin Garnett is that it's a movie set in 2012 and it like it it actually weaves itself in with like events in 2012. So at that point, like the weekend was just like a, a club star who wasn't hadn't totally made it big yet. And then I think the game that they watch at the end was an actual basketball game from that yeah circuit. i think the celtics were doing pretty well in 2012 i mean i i'm from massachusetts so honestly <laughs> like it's i have such a weird relationship with the celtics where they did so terribly for so long that i just stopped paying attention <laughs> yeah but it's um and it's just kind of adds an extra like weird element to see it does also add a weird element especially being a former bostonian because it's like traditionally bostonians and new yorkers really hate each other yeah so when you're getting that added um man from new york betting on a boston team it's like it adds (laughs) this extra layer of like what the hell is happening and the just the presence of the weekend can like was like huh you know okay He's, yeah, it's sort of the similar thing with Kevin Garnett, who, you know, he actually does a decent job acting. Yeah, he acts pretty well. I mean, he's, he's acting like himself, but, you know, like, it's not... It's, no it's good Shaq, acting. But Shaq used to act a lot, and you'd always be like, oh, Shaq. Like, but, like, <laughs> Kevin Garnett, like, act. he can legitimately act. Yeah, no, he was good. I, I would also like to shout out the intermediary character you mentioned, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, that dude is, like, a phenomenal actor. Um, yes. Have you ever seen the show Atlanta? Oh, I want to so badly. You it's really like... need to because he almost care. It's like there's one episode in particular that I'm going to link to you when we're done with this called, I believe it's called Teddy Perkins. I've heard so much about this is like and the weird Michael Jackson like, horror element. It's him going to get like a piano or something for his friend. And it's basically about just like black people that like completely dye their skin white yeah. and pretend like it's a medical issue and just like just people just black people with tremendous wealth that like try to become yeah yeah and it's like it has but horror elements right it literally does it's like literally like a horror movie but there's this great moment in the beginning of the episode and i'll segue back but yeah he's i think he's in like he's in like some southern state mm-hmm. um and it, i think it's like a, a right-wing state kind of a thing yeah. And he finds a like a trucker hat, and I'm pretty sure it's like a Confederate flag or something shitty like that. Yeah. And he's just sort of in there, just like talking with everyone, just like, how's it going? And like he mm-hmm. buys it and like uses Sharpie and he like writes something on the hat like like this is stupid. It's just like something yeah. like that. And he stu- yeah, yeah. he wears the hat. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like all these people st- it's like such a great but he's great. He's like this really bizarre stoner philosopher who it's like everyone else, you know, uh, Donald Glover and like um, the guy who plays the rapper Paperboy. 
they're sort of just like, okay, I'm your manager, you're a rapper, this is what you're doing. And yeah, they'll yeah. just like randomly come out with like, like there's so much dark matter in the universe that just <laughs> random shit where you're like, oh my God, like what? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really want to see that show and I have but he's been... a great, yeah, no, he's a great actor. He was really, really good in, um... So, sorry to called? bother you sorry to, sorry to bother you yeah phenomenal perf- we should cover that at some point because i love that movie but he's great in that and he he had a strong yet, supporting role i've yet to see him in any film where he hasn't blown me away yeah he was great in get out as well which i rewatched recently and i was like oh and yeah he has I, a bit part too yeah yeah he always makes an impression and he certainly does here um but yeah no um it's a, it's a, it is a, it is a movie rife with with good performances. In in this case, it's like a a really like solid ensemble to back up. Um, I mean, it would have been one thing if it was just Adam Sandler and we're just like, oh, Adam Sandler is great and everybody else is kind of there. But you know, the other roles are are really well deployed as well and. I don't know. And they're just... nuanced characters too. It's not like they're all just like mean loan sharks. It's like yeah. it's like you respect him because he's trying he's like one of the few people that's like, Howard, I'm not letting you be a dick to me. Yeah. Um but at the same time he's like you can tell he's sort of actively trying to fuck over Howard. Yeah. But then yeah. later on you find out that Howard, who was supposed to be like storing his watches for him, has been like selling them. Yeah. Howard... he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I'll pay you back. So it's like, it's sort of warranted. Yeah. Howard invites disaster on multiple occasions. But one of the things, I mean, this is more subjective than anything else. But even as you're like cringing at what he's doing... I kind of, I didn't like him, but I was almost like rooting for him despite the terrible decisions that he was making. The thing is, he's like, he's relatable in that he is that weird kind of aspirational that's like a realistic aspirational where it's like, that's what, there are people who do try to like, I'm going to go into the VIP and that's what happens. Like there's usually a person like you're not and then they try to sneak in and they kicked out get kicked out of the club or it's like their girlfriends banging the talent or like yeah yeah i mean that's a great scene too when like this is just the character it's like you know the weekend isn't huge but he's clearly like everyone's at the club to see that guy and he's like i'm gonna beat that guy up yeah it's i mean there are a lot of i i think that with 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 Howard, I mean, I I I think a lesser actor could have made him purely unlikable. But I don't know when he dies at the end. I feel bad for him. I I, I mean, I almost feel like he's like martyred in the end for this for this uh, idea he believes in. And I just I think that's a testament to. Adam Sandler's performance in that this is a difficult role and you he is on paper really not a very likable person at all but he he almost makes him into this weirdly like iconic figure and I think I think he yeah, did because it's not like you outright hate him in no any you part don't. of the movie I think I think what it is is you he's likable enough 
that you wish he would just stop making bad decisions. Because yeah. if he was a shithead, like, like if he was, I don't know, like a James Spader character who's just a <laughs> deplorable <laughs> person from beginning to end. Yeah. That's not say anything about James Spader. It's just those are traditionally <laughs> the type of roles he plays. Yeah. Um, I don't think you would care as much when he no. gets shot. or when, and No. I did say, actually, to you after I finished this movie... The, one of the least stressful parts for me was actually after he got shot because it was like, oh, well, I mean, he's gone. Shenness, I don't yeah. have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I under, I mean, I think that... It's like super tragic. Like, I was obviously yeah, sort no, of like sad. But it's tension. also like, he, it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about him getting his fingers cut off or getting yeah. his family killed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um... It is a release of tension, certainly, at that moment. Yeah, it's like the second the second you see the hole in his face and the blood coming out, it's like that's It's done. That's all the tension releasing with the, the bullet hole. Yeah. It's um I mean I don't know how much time we have left, but I guess moving toward the end. I would highly recommend this film, certainly. Although I I wouldn't always recommend it to the anxiety prone necessarily but i do think it's it's a very strong film and i I, we didn't talk about it as much but i do think there is a strong element of humor like oh it's legitimately funny i mean like even when you're stressed out about him getting you know basically kidnapped and having all his clothes stolen there's a moment right after where he's locked in the trunk and he has to lie to his wife like i locked my keys in the trunk so she (laughs) unlocks the trunk and then he's just like very slowly like trying to put on pants while she's clearly like, "Why are you naked in your trunk?" Yeah, I I think I mean it's also refreshing to know not just that he can act, but that Adam Sandler can be funny, like actually funny. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's I mean, it's like oh surprises everywhere. But yeah, no, it is um it's entertaining, and while it is like at some points at least for me like you know gut-wrenchingly tense and uh i I mean i one of my initial reviews i said at points i found it as distressing as certain horror movies um it is also there's a lot of humor and energy and just really good filmmaking on display as well what did you think of this movie sean i liked it a lot um i'll admit that and maybe it's from hearing everyone else talk about the film already. Yeah, that can kill I don't it. know that it, like, it it entertained me, but I don't know that I was always as stressed as I thought I was going to be. No, I was yeah. at the end, obviously, but yeah, um, I think what I took from the film was that it was a very realistic portrayal of someone going through a midlife crisis. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Because clearly, you know, like, it's not like... I don't think the film is trying to say that he wasn't already like this, but I think what the film is trying to say with, for instance, starting with the colonoscopy and having him dating this younger woman and all of the sorrow he feels from like trying to fit in with this younger crowd. That's clearly like you're an Hmm. old man. Oh, and, and when he's, he's betting on the basketball game at the end, he's like, Oh, the 12 year old version of me is like cheering right now or something. And, I didn't think about it through that lens, but you could kind of see it as like a 
like a bid to I mean I'm also 36 so that's yeah. like you know closer to my mind but that is that is sort of like he is sort of the classic uh story of a midlife crisis where it's a mm. man who feels his youth slipping away and then just just does all these desperate acts to yeah. try to hang on to it and it never yeah. really works no because he can he's struggling against uh the natural i mean just progression of things and it's also uh it bears worth repeating a realistic portrayal of addiction in that it is it's a very realistic portrayal of addiction too i think in particular the scene that touched me the most was so he he gets the money from kevin garnett in cash mm-hmm. near the end and you're like okay you can finally pay back the loan sharks thank god and then you see his eyes yeah. light up as he starts talking to Kevin Garnett. It's like, have you seen what the spread is against you? Like, what the points? Yeah. And he's like, you know, we could we could bet. And he says we instead of I. Like, he starts lumping Kevin Garnett in. And they yeah, cut to yeah, Kevin yeah. Garnett, who's just sort of looking at him, like, horrified. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> like, he tries to convince Kevin Garnett to cheat so he can do better on the game. Yeah, no. And it's, it's like, very... are you insane? It's like, crazy. Yeah, but um, he does. There is like a like an almost like physical change that comes over him in that moment. Yeah, because he goes like, from sort of calm, and then suddenly he's like really manic, and he's just like typing away, and he's flipping the computer around to show Kevin Garnett the stats yeah. on the game, and it's you know, so, he's like running around, he's throwing a bag of money through a window. Yeah, I rewatched this with my brother, and he just. He started like shaking his head and like breathing in through his teeth because it's just like he's finally got it in the bag, and then at that moment he decides to go way further than like he really could have anticipated. And but that it is. says it's, something. It's very. It's a very realistic portrayal of addiction because that is how it works. It's like yeah. you go from you know this certain high and then suddenly that certain high doesn't work so suddenly winning a hundred thousand isn't going to cut it yeah so it has to be a million and then yeah. when you come close to a million but you don't get it it's like i have to get that you know it's that drive to get to this kind of place that is never yeah. you know you're never going to stop trying to like ascend because it just doesn't stop that's not how the human condition is it's not like no. it's not like even if he had won five million dollars he would have stopped no, he wouldn't. And I think it also shows just how little the money actually means to him. That it's it's not about the... He has the money he needs at that point. But it's, I would argue that this whole film, he probably had enough in savings he could have paid off the loan shark. Probably. You're probably right. I mean, he's able to afford an apartment in New York City for his mistress. He's got yeah. this huge house that... I don't know what kind of income his wife is bringing in, but he he works at a jewelry store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean he could he could probably pay off, but I mean I saw some review somewhere that said it's almost like he's an athlete in this game of money. And yes, that, I would say that is very correct, and that he's like constantly striving to. He's not trying to win a game. He's just trying to do better and better and just play. And it's just, it's such, it's, to me, that was almost touching and a little like weirdly endearing despite the, the obvious consequences. But again, that isn't an attitude, the actual world of money and, 
and finance abides by. And I think it's the his murder at the end. It's like it's like it's like fantasy like being quashed by by reality like no you can't live your life like this you can't you know live the dream it's i mean it's relatable to me as somebody who's trying to make a career in the arts because that Mm. is something you're constantly struggling with is on the one hand you have the idealized like i'm gonna make stephen king money i'm gonna be so huge that i can buy a boat or whatever (laughs) and then there's the reality where it's like oh no there's probably gonna be like 15 to 20 years of like slowly working my way up with the pay bracket and like maybe slowly getting an agent and maybe eventually getting a big five book. But yeah. it's like, and then there's never a guarantee either that I won't yeah. have to get some other job just to make it through. Yeah. And that's it, sort of the same dynamic with uncut gems where he's like idealized, like I'm going to win a million dollars yeah. and I won't have to worry about it. And the, the reality is he's had to keep borrowing money from basically the mob who are yeah. going to kill him and he just can't come to turn and it's so i think that movie says it says something profound about i mean just the reality of living in a in a capitalist society in that it's not a society that rewards dreams or or aspirations in the end no matter what um no matter what, you know, we're told about it or whatever. No, because the it's end, always on the backs of someone else. And that's why I think it starts with the Ethiopian yeah. miner who's like just destroyed his yeah, leg. His leg. Ugh. Trying to just get gems that they ship off to rich white basketball people. Players, yeah, basketball players. Yeah. Basketball players. People that are already making millions yeah. who can then go on to say, like, this helped me you know, achieve my dream of winning this game. And it's meanwhile, there's a guy in Ethiopia who can probably barely walk and can't afford to get his leg fixed. Yeah. He's probably making pennies a day in this mine. Yeah. In the end, it's it's the loan shark attitude that wins out in real life, I think, more so than Howard's. And that's why it's kind of tragic to me. It's He's almost like a like a martyr for for the capitalist dream or whatever. Yeah, but, I'd say he's a martyr for the capitalist American dream. Yeah. But um in conclusion, I would recommend this movie to I mean if it sounds interesting or if you've listened this far, you've probably already seen it, but I I like this movie quite a lot and I I hope to see more um Safety Brother movies soon. Yeah, same. Uh, But with that, this has been Celluloid Citizens. I'm Sean M. Thompson. I'm Brian O'Connell. And please don't get addicted to gambling. (laughs) 